Welcome, everybody, and it's another Hollywood Godfather broadcast. Thank God. 19, I mean, 19, so that's how I am. 2022, I can't believe. 2022. <laughs> In a couple of months, we'll be going into our fourth year. I can't believe it. Yes, and, and you know, it's interesting, too. Two months from now, because I just had a nice conversation about our book, and um, which we'll talk about. Because it's so, I mean, where we're going with the book now, March 10th, it's three years and it's still selling. <laughs> yeah. No, that, I mean, I, I've been in this business a long time and that is remarkable. Well, this is my only one, so I'm really proud of it. <laughs> well, as, as well you should be. I mean, uh, we did a hell of a job, if I do say so myself. All right, well, who's talking to me, obviously, is my co-writer, Pat Piccarelli, who... Hi, uh, everybody. We've been doing so many things and our millennium millennial millennial <laughs> Megan Horan hello Whoa. that was good All hey, right. perfect it took me four years to learn that <laughs> what are we talking about today we're talking about uh esteemed and famous lawyer Barry Slotnick who you, Gianni, and I have experience with, and uh, he's an icon in the city of New York for the oh cases God, he's yeah. handled. Uh, and uh, for those of you who don't know Slotnick, uh, he, he can't walk down the street in, in, in this city and not get recognized, but perhaps some of you don't know him. He, I don't know if you're aware of this, John. He was admitted to the bar at 21 years old. No, I didn't know that. Got to be a record, man, because you, uh, you, you have to graduate college before you can get into law school. So it's four years of college, but three years of law school if you're going full-time, four if you're going part-time. How he did this all, uh, graduating law school at 21 and passing the bar, he's uh, nothing short of a genius. That's insane. Wow. Yeah, that, that is. I'm very impressed. Uh, he handled, he had, you know, I was at his office when he was on uh, Church Street. Uh, you would classify what he had as a boutique law firm. It was he handled who he wanted to handle. Sometimes he was difficult to get a hold of. Uh, and uh, he had the cream of the crop when it when it came to uh, clients, uh, maybe in the exception. Pat, uh, if but, I could interject and just ask you a question. Being so young, having just passed the bar at 21, how did he even start accumulating clients? OK, he. Uh, he knew a lot of people in the criminal court system. And he would go and sit in the front row in criminal court and uh, see who needed clients, uh, needed lawyers, rather way. Uh, and that's how he started. Hmm. Well, I, I heard he got hey. an early reputation with organized crime also. Well, that too. But he had to get his uh, uh, name known before an organized crime figure who's looking at life in prison would go to a lawyer. Yeah. And uh, he, he, was, he was very young. I mean, this was, uh, he was born in 1939, so let's say 1940. And he was at, at his peak in his late 30s and 40s. Which wow. Is coming. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I was, I mean, when when they, uh, Joe Colombo hired him, that's how I met him, when he was uh, representing the Italian Anti-Defamation League, when he was trying to have the Godfather movie stopped. 
And that's how, thank God, I got involved and got to know the guy because I wouldn't be talking about a 50th anniversary next month about that movie. But uh, I, I thought the guy was a genius. I, not that I would know that much about what he did or didn't do. I was just very selfishly looking at him representing me and talking for me to Paramount and convincing Joe Colombo that we can make money with this. But that's another whole story. But that's how I met him. I was 24. So that goes back a while. And he, we crossed paths a couple of times. But you have to understand, in the, uh, in the practice of criminal law, it's not like being a run-of-the-mill attorney. I mean, I've been working with attorneys all my professional life in the uh, uh, capacity of a private investigator. Most of the lawyers that I deal with never go to court. I mean, they've never been in court. They've never tried a case, but they're successful in their own right doing civil law, corporate law, medical law, malpractice law, whatever it is. When you're a criminal lawyer, you have to be just as much of an actor as you are an attorney. And Barry looked the part. He was tall. He was austere. He was slim, always dressed well, had a, had a, uh, a, a well-trimmed beard before it was fashionable. And he would get up before a jury and just wow them. He did, he, very, did he come from money? Uh, not as far as I can see. He's his, uh, uh, no, not at all. He was born to Russian Jewish Orthodox immigrants. So the answer for that would be no. He's a self-made man. Graduated with a BM from City College. Didn't go to any Ivy League uh, school. And then he went to uh, 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 New York University Law School which is, you know, it's an average law school. It's it's not considered uh, uh, Ivy League. And he started practicing law at 21. He is, and this is odd, too, because at that age, you know, you graduate law school in a city uh, where you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a lawyer. You generally don't go into practice on your own. You either go uh, be an assistant district attorney or you start at the ground floor in some established law firm until you get some kind of a name trying cases. He didn't do that. He graduates law school and he hangs out a shingle. Wow. That takes that 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 takes a lot of gumption to put in mildly. Because you get lost in a sea of lawyers. I mean, how many lawyers do we know, Gianni? Oh my God. <laughs> Come on. Man. They're all over the place. I know. Uh, but that's what he did. He, he he hung out a shingle with no experience, no contacts. And uh, I don't know if you he, he moved his offices several times, but when I knew him, he had this little office on the uh, on the uh, Church Street across the street from the park. How uh, what, what year was that? This was eighty. I'd say eighty six or seven. That's amazing to me. Yeah, because I met him in seventy three or four. And when was his office? Then? No, not even. Before that, because The Godfather book came out in 69. We made it in 71. And I met him up at Joe Colombo's office on Madison Avenue at the Anti-Defamation League. Did you ever go to Slotnick's office? No. There you go. I mean, well, it I'm was just saying, but I, I'm, I'm saying this, knowing him as well as I do, the last office I was in was on Park Avenue, and they had 4,200 attorneys in it. <laughs> uh, it, it well, uh, maybe uh, I, I caught him on a day when everybody was off. This was a small office I, on, on an upper floor. In fact, the building, if I uh, recall correctly, that we were in, this was in the, uh, in the late mid-'80s, still had elevator operators. Mm -hmm. you, know, you had to tell a guy... 
what floor you were going to. I mean, who ever heard of that? And, and you know, they, they got rid of uh, uh, manned elevators in the 50s once people learned how to press buttons, you know, but that building still had uh, people that operated elevators. That I recall vividly. That's wild. Yeah. So he wasn't looking for flash, at least not at that time. He was looking for press and he was looking for clients. And with the clients he got, I think what put him on the map, as you and I know, was the trial of uh, Bernard Getz. Well, that came much uh, later, though. That came in 89. Did it? Well, I just got, I couldn't get an exact date on that. Well, I'll tell you the date. date. Because October 28, 19, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, 1979. 1979 is when I shot the guy in my club that same night. And he was representing uh, Getz at the time? He um, he represented Getz. When did Getz get, uh, he, went, he shot him on a Saturday night? It was in 1984. 84. Okay. okay. There okay. you go. But, okay. I don't know uh, when the trial actually took place, but the shooting took place in, in 1984, okay. three days before Christmas. Spotnik was very well known in the city, in, in New York City. But Getz put him on the national map. That's why. I mean, they made movies out of it. So for those of you who don't know what this case involved, uh, Bernard Getz, uh, to put it politely, is not a threatening-looking guy. And Oh, uh, no, he, he was a very small, slight man. Well, slight, balding. He looked like a typical nerd. Uh, anyway, he goes on a subway, and, of course, people who are looking to commit crimes and rob people are looking for victims. They're not looking for people who look like they can handle themselves. So four young men approach Getz in a subway car. And th this is there's two versions to the story. And they threatened them and held them up, uh, according to Getz, or were about to. And according to the four uh, people that were shot, uh, they said, we didn't do anything. He just pulled out a gun and shot us. So that night in question, Getz, fearing for his life, which was his story, uh, pulled out a gun, which was unlicensed and unregistered, and shot four guys, paralyzing one of them. Well, that's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. that. And I, I, so, you, thank you for uh, rec making me remember it was '84 because I opened State Street in '80, and it happened. Oh. You know, a few years later, <laughs> I know the guy, when I did uh, that was um, Pablo Escobar's guy. Lorenzo Morales that I shot that night. What and year was that? What's that? What year was that? That know? was 84. October okay. October 28, 1984, or 81 or 2, maybe by the time he went to trial. I don't know, but that's what's confusing me. Yeah, no, Getz didn't come to trial for quite a while. I mean, there were pre-trial motions, and they were trying to get it thrown out, trying to raise the, uh, raise the charges. But yeah. uh, uh, everybody assumed that you got a white guy shooting four black kids, and I'm using air quotes here, uh, that there was going to be hell to pay. That There were pickets and rioting. Uh, Getz had to go and a lot, of, a lot of political pressure. And into this quagmire comes Barry Slotnick. And uh, uh, this is where the acting part comes into play here because he, he goaded one of the victims. I can't say victim. I wasn't a victim. He was, a, uh, he was one of the people that were going to hold up gets uh he made him lose his temper on the stand now this guy's name was ramser i forget what his first name was r-a-m-s-e-u-r 
uh, he had alleged that prior to the trial, but after the incident, that Getz had uh, some friends of his try to kidnap Ramser so he wouldn't testify. Ramser made all this up. Wow. Right? He wanted he wanted to make sure that Getz got convicted to make him look like a really bad guy. Uh, so Slotnick knows this to be not true. And using his theatrical skills, for lack of a better term, he makes gets he makes, makes Ramser lose his temper. The guy exploded and he went for Slotnick. Now, this is the one of the victims that the prosecution is portraying as nonviolent. I love okay, it. Okay, so that ruined the case right there. So he wasn't convicted of the attempted murder or anything. What they had to convict him on was possession of the gun. Yeah, I mean, New York City having a gun, that's a big thing. That's five years in itself. They really didn't have the strict law back then. Oh. But but still, uh, they they had had to convict him of it. He got convicted of a felony, and he did time. Uh, He he got a year, and he did nine months, as I recall. And uh, to, to this day, I don't there's not a... New Yorker that was living in the city at the time that does not know that name. He's, oh, uh, yeah, I know. No, he became, he became a folk hero. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. he stood up again, you know, again, again, it's happening all over again. We are talking about oh. it now. It's, look what these guys yeah, are doing now. Can you imagine if he would have done something like that now? He would have been executed before the trial. You know, I mean, it's the way our society is now. Oh, particularly with, oh yeah, particularly hello. With, Particularly with 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 the DA that uh, that uh, New York County has now, who will not prosecute an armed robbery for a felony, it's all knocked down to misdemeanors now. Armed robberies. Well, they're they're protesting this guy. I don't know what he's. Everybody's protesting. I don't know what he's smoking. This guy. I mean, he's, he's he had he had he had nine senior ADAs walk out on him last week. I'm not talking about people that just got the job. I'm, to, uh, I'm talking about one person who's at 15 years, another one 11 years, nine of them. His strength, his power in that office walked out on this guy because of his radical, uh, uh, the, way, the, 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 the way he's running the office so radically. So if, that, if, if, if Guess would have done now what he did then, it would have been a whole different outcome. But you have to thank Slotnick for this because he put on a show and he, he put on a damn good one. And that, that put him on, on, the, on the national map. And from then on, he was getting all kinds of interesting cases. He had a case uh, during uh, the uh, Iraq War where uh, a a soldier sued the military because he had gone to Iraq too many times. You do a tour there for a year. You come back. You do a couple of months at home. You go back. Some people were there four, five, and six times. And this soldier sued. Uh, and Slotnick won, and they had to revamp their whole reassignment protocol because of Barry Slotnick's case. It's amazing. So he did. He he it was talented across the board, and, and still is. I'm talking about him, he's dead. No, he's still very much around. So, what was your experience with him, Johnny? Well, my, my experience was early on, as I said, because of the fact that you know he he basically. Got me the part as Carlo and the Godfather, because we went up there and he argued the fact and the, the fact that he was a Jewish lawyer 
amongst Bobby Evans and all the Stanley Jaffe's and all the people that were running Paramount and Joe Colombo picketing the FBI saying it's discriminating the book and all of that. They felt comfortable for him to read it. What Joe Colombo didn't like, they would take out. And if they could come to an agreement, then Joe would get the cooperation of the neighborhoods and the unions, and they can go forward and shoot the movie. And my reward, which you're not going to see in this new show coming out on uh, the 14th, of um, March for the 50th anniversary called The Offer, none of this is in it. (laughs) Everything is already made the deal for everybody. And I I think we're all going to have some fun with it because why would they take an unknown, not professional, and even learning the craft of acting and put me in a part called Carlo? (laughs) Why do you think the... You know, the writers, producers, whoever is involved with this decision, why do you think they're not including the mob? Do you have? Well, I what I think is that because, number one, Viacom Paramount is a public trading company. It's worth $77 billion. Do they, at this point, want to say they were associated with the mob, Joe Colombo? Because don't forget, while we were shooting the movie, still shooting in June, on June 28th, there was an assassination on Joe Colombo. And again, for Barry Schlotnick, fortunately for me, I was supposed to be on that dais. And our audience has heard this conversation before. I got a call from Tommy Bellotti asking if I was going to this rally, which was right up the block at Columbus Circle. And I said, yeah. And he said, you can't go. I said, what are you talking about? I'm on the dais. And I'll never forget what, you know, Tommy said to me. I don't care if Joe Colombo's sitting on your lap. You can't go. They told, told me to call you. And thank God I called Barry Slotnick on that, saying, Barry, you got to tell Joe I apologize. I got a stomach virus or something, but I can't be sitting anywhere for too long. He said, I'll explain it to him. But if I didn't tell him that, and that wasn't brought up, like 72 hours when they started to open up the investigation, I'm sure I wouldn't be talking because somebody was going to whack me either in the Colombo family or organized crime thinking that I knew this guy was going to get hit. It wasn't until years later when the whole story unraveled with Joe Gallo taking the contract to, to kill Joe, and it was the Gambino family that gave him the contract. But... That's why I'm saying in and out of my life, and then we spin forward even to the Getz case. Now, here is Barry defending a guy in 84, and I I shoot a guy in my club in Vegas who's Pablo Escobar's guy. I mean, this guy's been a thread through my life for all of these years. It's been crazy. He also, he also represented John Gotti in his first trial. Pe- people tend to forget that. Uh, because he only he was a he was a one and done. He got Gotti and his co-defendants off. Well, you know it's interesting you bringing that up. One of my biggest problems I had later on in life was with Louis Prisico. Louis Dome was his nickname. He owned separate tables in New York, 
and Barry was his attorney. <laughs> it was like I'm saying, Barry's like all around me, good or bad. It's it's crazy. So speaking, you know, he, go ahead. Go ahead I'm sorry, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, speaking of of that, him being around you a lot. I think it was how many criminal indictments did you have? I know no convictions, but what was it? Twenty three or something like 23 that. Twenty three criminal indictments and three murder, three uh, inquests on three different murders, but they were all ruled justifiable. They never went to trial. Right. So no, no convictions. Never went to trial. How many of those cases were were was Slotnick a part of? None. None. Is that weird? None. That's Johnny. As Gianni once told me, I am a man of no convictions. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So was he more of like a, um, an advisor to you than he was an actual defense attorney? Well, with me, I never used him as a defense attorney. He was my friend that got me to roll in The Godfather. Then he came to my defense to let organized crime and a, and a character that I got to know really well, Joe Coffey, a famous detective in New York, who was investigating why I wasn't on the dais, and I was always in this guy's face up until the Gotti trial, as uh, as um, Pat just pointed out, because he arrested Gotti three times, and he was the last guy that got him convicted, was Joe Coffey. And uh, so, I mean, it's so crazy, and that, that, I mean, that was a great question. I mean, I, I never used him as a law. I never retained him. <laughs> Well, you know, he, he was a, he is a smart person. You know, I don't know why he, he, he walked away from defending uh, uh, mob guys. Uh, the only thing I, I can think now is he didn't want to be labeled as a mob lawyer, strictly right. a mob lawyer. Uh, just, uh, and uh, maybe if that was his attitude, his uh, premonition uh, became true because Bruce Cutler. I was just going to bring him up. Yeah, who, who replaced uh, Barry Slotnick, defended Gotti so many times. He got disbarred. He lost his well, profession. He, no, no, he did get disbarred. He declared him house counsel. And if your house counsel means you're part of the problem, you're not fixing the problem. Exactly. He, the government said you're, you're too embedded with organized crime. You cannot defend John Gotti anymore. So... Uh, the defense said, yeah, the reason I can't defend John Gotti anymore is because I keep on beating you. And Cutler was right. They, they, they had to get rid of this guy, so they declared him house counsel. There's no hearings. There's no trial. If the government declares you house counsel, you're house counsel, and you're out of it. You, you, you can no longer get involved with those clients anymore. And the person who replaced him, I forgot his name, handled the fourth trial. Gotti gets convicted and goes away for life. Yeah. Well, I mean, they had enough evidence on Gotti. I mean, we're talking about John Gotti like he was the saint. His no, witnesses would his witnesses would disappear. <laughs> well, what I'm trying to say is the skill of the attorney meant everything in the first trial. Right. And Cutler was batting a thousand in the next two or three trials, and all of a sudden he's house counsel. You don't have to offer any proof to be to, to make that accusation. They label you a house counsel, you're out. Simple as that. Why why don't you have rights to defend yourself? Because it's not a criminal uh, charge. They just said, you can't do it. We consider you house counsel, and you're out. Okay. Well, My feeling is, uh, not because uh, Gotti was a saint, was because Bruce Cutler was 
uh, uh, like Barry Slotnick in his own right, he was a street guy, and Jury's got a kick out of him. Oh, he, he was, was grandstanding. He was dressing like Gotti and everything. Oh, yeah, exactly. He was a these Dems and those guy. You know, he's he's an actor now. I've seen him on uh, quite a few television shows. I got him his first job. Which 15 Minutes of Fame. I got him as Bruce Cutler with Robert De Niro. <laughs> in, in what movie? 15 Remember? Minutes of Fame. Oh, I thought you were using that as... It was, <laughs> I thought you were using that as an example. No, that was the title. Oh, the yeah, it was an interesting was, movie, too. The movie was 15 Minutes. Yeah, and, and um, De Niro played a fire inspector who died halfway through the movie. Yeah, that was odd. I know. You, you kill off De Niro? You're paying him all this money? You're going to whack him? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was so crazy. They said to me, I, I want to do a movie. And I said, why don't you get Bruce Cull? He's perfect. He's, that, that's who he is. That was the character they wanted me to play. So I got Bruce Cutler's job. <laughs> and he was playing Bruce Cutler. That's not much of a stretch. Hello. <laughs> but anything he's anything he's been in, he's been in Blue Bloods a couple of times. I've seen him in other things. Oh, he no. always plays himself. He always plays himself. He's either playing himself by name or he's playing himself as, you know, name some other kind of lawyer. Right. But he always plays, on a, you know, a bombastic, loud well, You know, he's lawyer. built, a, like you said, he built a great reputation. People know him and... And people will tune in. It's called TVQ. <laughs> yeah. My feeling was, though, that the government just wanted to get rid of them. They were embarrassed that they were losing so many cases to them. And they said, okay, your house counsel, goodbye. And the, the guy that, that they got was a very good lawyer, if I can remember his name, but I can't offhand. I, I think uh, I know. Was, I, I'm, don't ask me why I think it's DeRosa. No, it's not. It wasn't John no, DeRosa? I, no, but the point is, he's a good lawyer, but he's not a street guy. You know, they needed a street guy. And he's he's a very austere, very, uh, very proud looking guy. He's up there talking about the law. You have to get down to their level. And, you know, and he couldn't do that. And God, he, you're, you're correct. They had a lot of evidence on him. But maybe some of the charges that he got dismissed, he got slammed and he died in prison. So. But, but, but uh, do you know that for a fact that it's not my memory is pretty astute upon that. Uh, uh, who were representing him last? Yeah, no, it's not the role. No, I know the guy wasn't Italian. Uh, if I, uh, oh. Megan, you want to want to Google that if you can? Yeah, what is it that I'm looking for? Last person who represented body at his last trial. Okay. Yeah, because you know I was I was I had lunch with them just recently. I yeah, under protest. I wouldn't want to go, but I went because a, a guy, a very good friend of mine, John McCallie, who was. A, a police detective for years and captain, and uh, he he was good friends with this guy, uh, the last guy that represented him, uh, a Jewish uh, name, uh, and, and and also an out of towner, which didn't sit well with the jury. Oh no, this guy's from New York. Yeah, she'll find him. Yeah, you might have to just. We might have to come back to that because I can't find it right now. But okay, no problem. I can do it. Right. 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 I, I had an experience with uh, with Slotnick. Uh, a couple of stories were run on me. This was in '86, uh, maybe '87. Uh, my uh, uh, wife, who was out sick with cancer, she was a police officer, and the uh, the uh, prevailing attitude of the job was if you're out sick, even though. Uh, the police department has unlimited sick. You can be sick forever uh, and still get paid. Uh, 
Oh, let me, let me, let me. It just came to me, Jerry Chagall. Yeah, that's him. Good for you. No, no, oh, there not, you go. No, it's it's not Jerry Chagall. Not the last guy. Oh, it's not. No, Chagall handled the case before that. Huh. I'm okay. still looking. Anyway, but you're looking for that. I'll tell you the story. Please, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was having problems with the with the NYPD, and there was a lot of press on me. Slot Slotnick called me. I mean, I didn't know. I mean, I saw his name in the paper. Yeah, I didn't know him. And he said, this is a movie. And I said, yeah, sure. You know, but he, he went he, he went ahead with this. We had uh, we had meetings in his office. We had meetings at the Friars Club. Uh, we got Sonny Grasso involved. Those of you who don't know who he is, the French Connection cop who went on to be a, uh, a big time movie producer. Oh, great, great. Him and, his, him and his partner were big in TV. Yeah. He uh, uh, yeah, we went down. He that what was the, uh, the restaurant down in Little Italy? He always went to. He had oh, meetings Puglia. there. Puglia on Saturday night. Yeah, we went. How to do Puglia. I remember this stuff? I don't know. <laughs> Monday nights, uh, Puglia. He kept the table there on Grand Street. <laughs> anyway, I, uh, uh, Slotnick, I, I never paid him a dime. I mean, he he did everything. He said, "No, no, don't worry about it. Your story needs to be told." And uh, so we had meetings. He signed Margaret Collin, who's been around a long time, uh, to, to to play my wife. Uh, and the, the actor who played Gotti in the television movie, what was his name? Two different guys in the, the television. Josh Volta played him in the movie. Yeah, the and, they, and the guy, uh, Armand Asante. Armand Asante. Because Armand Asante the- was playing, working for me in a movie called Striptease with Demi Moore when he got the call that they wanted him to play Gotti for HBO. Okay, they wanted him to play me in this biopic about... That would have been a good call. Well, I tell you, we went... A lot of meetings. I mean, this went on for months and months and months, and they got backers. uh, And then, like every other Hollywood thing, and then I was getting close to retirement, and I retired. And maybe they still wanted me to be on the job while all this was happening. I don't know. But... uh, this wasn't up to Slotnick. Whoever was pushing this thing, they got on to the next project, whatever they do in Hollywood. That was the end of that. But Slotnick was a really, really nice guy. I mean, what did I know about making movies? I was a cop. He was, mm-hmm. a, he was a gentleman. He was just a nice, nice guy. No, I mean, he, he had the powers to do it because he, he ran with my story long before it was even published. Because he knew about me and what was going on, we had mutual friends, and we still do. And uh, he said, "I'll, I'll, I'll take that and run it with it." And he kept it about two or three years. But like you said, the momentum in Hollywood is like the flavor of the week. So if you don't exactly. get it, if you don't get it made right away, I, I mean, I've been fortunate enough. I made thirty six or forty six movies now, and I'm proud to say. I don't know if I told you guys. You know, I have my own me. TV series now. On did I tell you, Pat? Oh yeah, you told me. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You I, signed to you, Maggie, right? Yeah. It's yeah. called it's Kansas City, and I pay P- Peter Inzarillo, and I happen to know these guys. It's all about the seventies and eighties. <laughs> when do you start to shoot? They got me on hold from March to or to August. They don't have a shoot date yet because of COVID. But I just you know, I I can't wait to do that. It'd be fun. But That's it's great. crazy. Yeah, I was talking to our agent today, Johnny, and I uh, m- mentioned your new series. And he said? 
He said, how come I didn't hear about it? I said, you just did. I just told you. <laughs> How's he doing yeah. anyway, our agent, Mr. Frank Doing well. Wyman. I mean, it, it, he just called me for the hell of it. You know, I mean, uh, he's a great guy. But that's that's another show, as they say. The, 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 the life our, and times of Frank Wyman. I found our defense attorney. Who was it? Albert Krieger. That's him, Krieger. Yeah. Krieger? Krieger. Krieger. Who, yeah, yeah. Why not would he hire him? <laughs> not primarily a criminal guy. He's just all kinds of law, but very austere. Very, he just he, like he, he had a a, a, a a stick rammed up on him. He couldn't relate to the jury. Good lawyer, don't get me wrong. In in his venue, but that was not his venue. Apparently, Albert, he had worked with uh, Joe Bonanno at some point. Yeah, back in the day. Joe oh my was, God! I wouldn't have hired yeah. him just on that. <laughs> Bill Bonanno. Bill, I mean, I like Bill, but that was like, what is he doing in organized crime? <laughs> Wearing his cowboy boots and his hat. He's about 6'1". He's Joe Bonanno's son. He made him. He made him the boss. That's like making well, me... Uh, well, Colonel didn't he, uh, he, he, got, he got made and he was automatically a captain? Yes. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, living in Arizona in the middle of the desert. What, what were they organizing there? Cactuses? I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> prairie dogs. In fact, I met him with with Frank Wyman. Frank yeah. represented them. Uh, yeah, well, he, uh, him, and uh, and Joker Stone, the guy who who went undercover is Donnie Brasco. Right. For those of you who, who don't know who Joker Stone is, uh, Bill Bonanno and and uh, Joker Stone. I mean, two direct you, people say we're opposites. You know, I mean, <laughs> hello. Uh, yeah, I mean, they did a book together. And Frank Wyman represented them, our agent, and it, it did very well. But uh, he didn't, it, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't a hands-on captain. He wasn't even involved in anything. Was they he? had no crew. It, there was yeah. 12 people in the desert in Arizona. They were exiled there. <laughs> I mean, I, could, I had to go there. I had to go, actually, a few times to bring messages. And I had to land in Arizona and drive two and a half hours out into the desert at 120 degrees, I'm saying, what are they nuts? Yeah. And the only well, reason I went was a guy from Sicily asked me to go see him, Hugo Buford. Well, hey, what, well what? You, you got you have to admit they were safe out there. Oh yeah, you're safe, all right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's I mean, I'm, it's so bizarre, so bizarre. One last thing before we wrap up, Pat. Obviously, you're very familiar with law enforcement and court proceedings. Um, I read that. Slotnick had a dozen year stretch in which he didn't lose a case. How yeah. common is that? Well, you know, when they say don't lose a case, that doesn't mean he had jury trials for all of them and they all came back not guilty. They could have oh, settled. They, they could, could have, have settled and walked out. out. Yeah. So, I see. Uh, I see. So many. And, and what kind of cases? Were they criminal? Were they all criminal? No. Some were civil. Is that rare? Well, he's in the top maybe five or ten percent, but it's not all that rare. And you got to understand, he's, uh, uh, Slotnick is just a very bright guy. I mean, and he has a, he has choice of cases. Oh yeah. I mean, what like a you know you can compare him to a to a prosecutor who What's uh, won't take a case unless they think they got a very good chance of winning. Yep. And, they don't uh, take him. I have the same attitude. Why should I take a case? I'm going to lose. He had his pick. That does take away from his skill, though. He's an excellent, skilled lawyer. Good for him. All right. Well, 
Let's take a break, make some dollars, and come back to the mailbag. We haven't done the mailbag. We'll be right back. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco Extra Virgin Olive Oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces, marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneFineItalian.com That's CorleoneFineItalian.com All right, we're back. We're back for the mailbag. All right. Let's get into it. First, I want to share a message from Michael. Michael says, Dear Gianni and staff, I am a native of Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, but sadly live elsewhere now. I did move back to NYC in 2019, but left due to the pandemic. I was in Salt Lake City and Los Angeles for many years. I wanted to return back, but I didn't have the confidence. I read your book and heard your voice and it felt like home. You gave me the confidence to return to NYC, go to acting school, even if it was just for a year. I got to say goodbye to my home and met my wife. I am grateful for your message of hope that I believe made this possible. I have much love for you guys in my heart during this dark time. God bless and stay healthy. Well, I hope you're happily got- married. Wow, we, we influenced somebody to get married? I tell you, <laughs> but, yeah, we're going to be uh, witnesses at his divorce. That would really <laughs> oh, His wife gosh. is going to call us in. <laughs> I tell you, no, you know, all, all kidding aside, I, I, I got a chill when, I, when you were reading that. Yeah, I started tearing up a bit, actually. <laughs> yeah, we, we had, we, I mean. That's yeah, nice that we could influence and do something right. <laughs> yeah, how often do you have an effect on a total stranger like that? Yeah, that's great. A very deep effect, obviously. Yeah, life-changing decisions were made based on it. So that's amazing. I'll say. Wow, Michael, thank you. Thank you, Michael, and your wife. Yeah. <laughs> May your first child be named Gianni. <laughs> May your first child be a masculine child. Well, it has to be if he's Gianni. It's be Marianne. <laughs> No, I, I, I was uh, I was doing my Luca Bratz. Yes, exactly. Okay. I All right. That. All right. Next is a message from Stephen. Stephen says, Johnny, just finishing up your book. Loved it. I became a fan seeing you on the Rockford Files. Now I know how Dion Warwick also appeared on the show. I'm bringing the book to my dad. I know he will enjoy it. I played for him your interview on Coast to Coast AM. He enjoyed listening to you. My dad had polio when he was a kid. Oh, we'll wow. come to see you perform sometime. It's on my list. Really enjoy your stories. Cheers. Well, thank you for that. Another one. Thank you. Well, they're not the nice one. I'm starting yeah. to feel good about myself. <laughs> well, let's not get carried away. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. Next is from Lawrence. Lawrence says, did you know Julius Lopata, assistant GM at the Latin Quarter? No. Also, did you know Stuart Lopata? worked at Silverbird in the 70s as a manager. The Silver, where the hell is the Silverbird? Beats me. It beats me too, the Silverbird. I mean, Arizona, you didn't go when you were there? Silverbird. Well, I guess that answers that. No, we right. don't know the guy. Maybe next time. Okay, next is from Daniel. Daniel says, Tony, Tony Curtis had an affair with Marilyn Monroe while filming Some Like It Hot in 1958. When Gianni worked on his movie with Tony Curtis, did they ever discuss their shared connection with Marilyn? 
We definitely did, <laughs> because when we did Lepke, and uh, uh, let me say this to you, Marilyn, in defense to her, only thought that she had, if you liked her, to, to, to have sex with her is like all she could offer you. So I talked to Marlon Brando, I talked to Frank Sinatra, I talked to, uh, and, and there was a key, a key clue that if you really were with Marilyn, you would know this. And if you really weren't with her, you wouldn't know this. She had a scar above her, between her left leg connecting to her groin. And she was very conscious of it. So unless you were intimate, you would not know that. And so that's all he had to say to me, and I busted out laughing because he kept saying... Okay, so now, so now what you've done, you understand what you just did, right? Every guy of a certain age in the world... <laughs> I was going to say about that. <laughs> ...can now say <laughs> that they were fed with Mal Monroe because I saw the scar. Well, I mean, he had it... They had, he had to be with her before 1963. <laughs> hey. And that eliminates a lot of guys. <laughs> it does. <laughs> no, but that's a, that's a good question, yeah. Tony, I mean, Tony was such, I mean, Tony hit on me. He was totally bisexual, but he, he didn't care. And I mean, I had a great friendship with this guy for years and years and years. But uh, it's, it's crazy. No, the big. Let's not get into all these movies. All right, let's go, we can go on forever. Next. Right. Also from Daniel, he says a question for each of you. What is your proudest achievement? My two sons. That's good. Yeah. I don't know if they'd say the same thing, but that's mine. <laughs> and yours, Megan. You, you, be, um, you being the youngest of us. What's that? Hopefully, I still have a, a lot more to go, but, but up till this point, up till this point, um, I would probably say getting into Fordham University early action. That's great. Okay, that's good, good. How about like you, Jeff? That set the. Well, path I did none of those. <laughs> <laughs> I have, uh, yeah, as we all know, nine sons, not two, and uh, but no, I'm not my. I, I just. Love the energy that I have. I was 79, December 12th. And then I just keep going. I mean, I'm just, I, I've done so many things that I never thought I could accomplish. And so to me, I'm just so grateful for some, for mobility at the age of 12 after not having it for so long. So I'm just grateful. I tell you, uh, you know, as, as your friend, I can say you're justified in saying that. I mean, you, you, You've accomplished so much. Think about it. Thank you. you know? And I'm not and, done. And, and and every time you call me, I say, "Oh, what's he done now?" <laughs> you know. Yeah. And you always have you always have something different that you're working on. And the people uh, decide they don't want to live anymore when they hit sixty, and they just crumple up. And go, you know, this is an aside. It'll take twenty seconds to tell you this. I went to a, dent, uh, a dentist twice in two weeks, and I was early, so I went to a McDonald's across the street get a cup of coffee, whatever. And for the two weeks in a row, I saw the same old guys sitting in the same chairs. They meet there every morning. And they're not that old. I say 60s. And they just sit in McDonald's all day in their Steelers jackets and baseball caps. 
and t- talk about what they did 40 years ago. That's their lives. That's yeah. actually they gave up. I and always promised the, myself I wouldn't do that. Oh, man, me too. I mean, that's just depressing. I can see going in there once and then see the guy a, a week later. They're st- still there wearing the same yeah. thing, talking about the same stuff. No, I've been depressing. blessed, and I'm, I'm totally appreciative of that. And we all know I'm religious, and I don't take it for granted, so it's all good. Good stuff. All right, next is from Stephen. Stephen says, hi, Gianni, did you ever meet Wayne Diamond? Wayne Diamond, the biggest idiot in New York City. Did I ever meet Wayne Diamond? What? Yeah, I did, unfortunately. How's that? How's that for a recommendation? Who is he? He starts being an idiot. What's his He's just a, like? a big, the thing I despise about him, and every time I see him, and he's sitting in a restaurant, I hear that voice, and I go over and insult him to death. <laughs> every other word out of his mouth is F this and F that, and I don't know why they let this guy get away with it. Who is he? What does he do in life? What's his- I have no idea. I met him. I, he's a wannabe. He's got this long hair. Dark tan, wears these big, thick glasses. I believe he's Jewish. I mean, I don't even want... I mean, Wayne Diamond, that's like... I mean, uh. No, Johnny, how do you really feel? I despise this idiot. Thank you. All right. Yeah, he uh, he has a a very dark tan, actually. Oh, you see him? I just Googled him. I've never seen this man in my life, but I don't really care to again. (laughs) Hello. What I, they you see does, Every other word out of his mouth, and I don't understand. He could Hold be on, with his me. wife. Let me see what his credentials are. Hold on. Um, okay, you know, I'd rather says, not give him this much attention. Seriously, I'm dead serious. He's that uh, much of a creep. Why should he, we glorify he he this idiot? What was his name? He graduated from high school. Huh? He works garment uh, He designed... For the business through, I don't know. He's Who like, cares? I know what his claim to fame is. Hmm. That we just talked about it for the last five minutes on our show. No kidding. Now he's really <laughs> famous. Okay, that's enough. No that was just five minutes of fame. Moving right. on. There we go. I really even who it was. But. <laughs> okay. Next is from Will. Will says, do you know anything regarding Dino Cellini? Childhood friend of Dean Martin and Jimmy the Greek from Steubenville, Ohio. Ran casinos for Mob and Havana from Irelandski and later with George Rath in London Casino. Dino Cellini was inspiration of character of book, The Master Mechanic. No, no, no. I, I met Dean way after Steubenville. I, we talked about it, hung out with him through the, you know, once they were the Rat Pack. I met them when I was 17. So that's, you know how I started hanging out with them. That was for the whole, if they read our book, you would know that during the, uh, trying to get Senator John F. Kennedy president. But Dean is a, there's a man's man. Dean, I got forget about him. But not Cellini, we don't care about Cellini. I'll tell you what, introduce him to this guy Diamond. Maybe they could be friends. <laughs> oh yeah. <gasps> then, All right. Next is from Nick. Nick says, hey, Gianni, I discovered you in an interview with DJ Vlad and became a massive fan. I look forward to the sequel of your next book. I do have one question. Since you hung out with Sinatra, did you ever get the chance to meet Ava Gardner? If so, what was she like as a person? I met Ava Gardner several times, and I liked her. But, I mean, you know, they were that was a love-hate relationship. And I was a young guy. I mean, 
Ava got it to me like all the other women that were in that crew. And they had a crew. But um, no, Ava Garner to me was a gorgeous woman also. A gorgeous woman. But, uh, you know, he, it was the love of his life. And uh, Sinatra and I talked about her. He cried about her a lot. <laughs> it was crazy. Hello. Next is from Jimmy. Jimmy says, hello, everyone. I just took a trip to Ogden, Utah, and found out it has a colorful history with bootlegging during Prohibition and other organized crime well into the 60s. Do you all know anything about Ogden's ties to the mob? Ogden, Utah? I don't think there's a family out there, do you, Johnny? During Prohibition? No, now. Oh. You, he just went out to Ogden, Utah, and there's a mob family there? What did no. I miss here? No. He found out there's a colorful history with bootlegging during Prohibition and other organized crime into the 60s. In the 60s? Okay. Prohibition was in the 30s. 20s, actually. During Prohibition and other organized crime into the 60s. It's no. from that time to the 60s. Don't know anybody there. I don't know Mormons to be organized other than with the, well, the Latter-day no, Saints. The, <laughs> yeah, what they have there, Megan, is disorganized crime. Ha, got Different. It. All right, Jimmy. Well, there we go. <laughs> okay. Well, that is all we have time for tonight. Well, thank you for your attention on all of that. And... Um, We'll see you all next week. Don't forget to please critique us. Give us great reviews if you think we deserve it. We want to stay on the air. We appreciate you. And as Pat said, we're going into our fourth year. Thank God and thank you. Have a good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Hurrian, with questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. I should be together Take this love I long to give you I'll be at your side forever Call me Don't be afraid, you can call me Maybe it's late, but just call me Tell me and I'll be around